show me the way to oh, I'm taking my time on my ride These aren't my favorite songs. They're not even necessarily the best songs, but rather my life as the playlist. So, you've been in quarantine for five months and have barely left the house. Or maybe you're an essential worker, exhausted from serving others all day. And it's summer, and you're bored because your long-awaited plans got canceled. Needing comfort and relaxation, you browse through your old DVD collection, or see what's streaming on Netflix, and head right for your favorite romantic comedies. If you're a music lover like me, you agree with Star Wars director George Lucas, who said, quote, the sound and music are 50% of the entertainment in a movie. So, when you think about what to watch, maybe you're in the mood for the infectious energy of the original song from Sing Street, Drive It Like You Stole It. Or maybe you want to watch the upbeat dance number, You Make My Dreams, by Hollow Notes from 500 Days of Summer. Or maybe you want to watch the iconic boombox scene from Say Anything, which I watched the first weekend I ever spent with my now husband and love so much we danced to your eyes at our wedding party. In today's episode, I'm here with the host of About Time, Luke, and his co-host, Robert, to discuss the soundtrack of this romantic comedy, a time travel fantasy encouraging us to live every day as if it's our last. I highly recommend you watch the film because it's excellent, but also because you might discover some new artists, like Nick Cave in The Bad Seats. But because this is Life as a Playlist, our featured songs are the film's top 40 hits, Back to Black by Amy Winehouse and Friday I'm in Love by The Cure. So, for anyone listening who may not be familiar with the film, could you give us a brief synopsis? So it basically revolves around a guy called Tim and how he finds out from his dad that all the men in his family have the ability to travel in time. And at first he decides to use his ability to find love, but that's like the first quarter of the film. End of, fir- end of the first act, he's, he's found love. But it's it's still a film about love. It's a film about the love between friends. It's a film about the love between father and son. And just about how much easier life would be if you could just relive a moment and, and fix it. But also just about the importance of appreciating and loving your life, really. Awesome. Thank you. Robert, do you have anything to add? I don't know. That was pretty good. I think that last sentence kind of is a big part of it is it's not just to be about being able to relive the moment, but being able to live in it in the first time, which, mm. you know, spoilers. Is what he do- does toward the end. Is he doesn't time travel anymore? It's fine. Richard Curtis spoiled it in like all the interviews and press for the film. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't think it's come up in our show yet at this point because our show's on like now three times a week. But I argue at one point that he doesn't ever time travel, and that's just a metaphor anyway. So no, that doesn't come up until we get to Kit Kat and her accident. I don't think we're almost there. But yeah. So, so before we discuss the top forty songs in the film. Could you each tell me what your favorite song is on the soundtrack and why? Luke, we'll start with you. Okay, well, mine is uh, Ron Sexsmith's Gold in Them Hills, which of course. I think people will definitely know when they listen through the show as to how much <laughs> I love that song. Because it's uh, it's the first song I heard by Ron Sexsmith, who we've since, but not later on in the show, we will have him on the show to talk about it. And I listened to all of his other, well, a lot of his other music in prep for that, and it just made me sort of appreciate a whole new artist and all of his sort of 
hopeful songs. And I'd like to consider Ron a good acquaintance now. We chat quite a lot on Twitter and he helped my school get noticed by Sir Elton John. So it's all... So that song's now linked to so many good things and a lot of the the lyrics are so meaningful to the lockdown and COVID period as to how to sort of appreciate even when life feels like it's going wrong that there's still gold in them hills. Wow, that is incredible. Thank you. (laughs) So what about you, Robert? It's an interesting question because Luke has made me appreciate that song more because I didn't, when he first mentioned it on the show, I was like, I don't remember which song that is even. The song I knew from the movie especially was Into Your Arms, Hmm. because it's in another one of my favorite movies, Zero Effect. And I like Nick Cave sometimes. He's got a nice tone to him. A lot of the songs in here do. But I think my actual answer now might be uh, Spiegel M. Spiegel, Hmm. even though it makes me feel horrible. Because it it has something about that song, as soon as it starts playing in any context, even in Movie 43, which is a stupid movie, (laughs) it plays over that one of the best sequences in the movie, and it's like, it made me pay attention and feel something in a movie that doesn't deserve it. It's a sad, I forget the title is what, Mirrors in Mirrors, is how it translates, and it's essentially a repeating rhythm that just kind of, it's kind of melancholy and mellow. Yeah, it's weird how quickly the seven minutes or... Nine or however long it is can just pass because it often comes up on my shuffle. And yeah. originally, I often think, "Oh, it's going to be really melancholy," and then I'm. It's both melancholy yet really happy. It like links to whatever mood you happen to be feeling, really. Yeah, and it's the same forwards as backwards, apparently, which is yes. interesting. So I'll stick with you for now, Robert, for the follow-up question. So, how does the film use your particular favorite song? Um. Well, one of the songs we're going to talk about. Their focus on later, Back to Black, is right before we first hear Spieglem Spiegel in the movie. And it mm. it basically, you start hearing this sad music before you get to the sad part of the movie. And so it's like the movie is preparing us for something we're, we don't know is coming yet. And watching it again more recently, like when we were working on our show, as soon as that music came in, my brain immediately jumped forward and I'm sad. Before it even gets there. But the first time, it's just like, it's it's like it's it's prepping you and you don't even know why. It's actually for one of the happiest bits in the film that it's playing, really. The first time, yeah. Mm. I, I sort of look at that song as meaning life is happening. Yeah. Whenever there's a new, a new step of life in the song, be it a happy step of life, like a birth, or a really sad step of life, like a death. Mm. But whatever it is, it's about life just happens and life moves on. It's like Tim's attitude the whole time is like the mirror and mirrors is you're reflecting on everything that happens. It doesn't matter if it's good or bad. It's all part of your life. Mm. So, Luke, how is your favorite song used in the film? So Tim's dad tells him the one final rule for time travel. I don't think this is a massive spoiler and you can still appreciate the film anyway. But one rule for how to live his life is to live each day twice. To live to live it once just not noticing all the wonderful things in the world, and then the second time, noticing, just once he's got past all the stresses and struggles of the day, to just live it again and appreciate every little thing. And that's the moment where God and Them Hills plays, which was one of the first songs, supposedly, that Richard Curtis wanted to use in the film. He's been a big fan of Ron Sexsmith for years, so he wanted to use that, and it's one of the first moments he decided. And whenever I hear it, it makes me really emotional, like Robert Wispigel and Spigel. And it's just, that moment in the film rarely fails to make me cry. And considering we now know the film inside out, and I watched it really recently, it still didn't fail to make me cry. 
even though it's also got a really positive moment, like when he's in the shop and at first he just buys a snack and the shop girl like, you know, takes his money. But the second time you get like her face and his face and they're interacting. They don't know each other. We don't know her. Yeah. It's, it's a nice little moment just of noticing the people that are around you. Mm. And to, to plug our show, the episodes where we talk about Gold in the Hills are probably one of the most funny and most entertaining episodes of the show. So <laughs> it's definitely worth listening out for that one. I think the first episode like that is entitled Dedicated to Graham Curry. And that is, yes. um, if anyone listens to any episode of the show, listen to Dedicated to Graham Curry when that comes out because it's <laughs> just, I think it gives it the exact flavor as to what we're doing. <laughs> Excellent. I have listened to um, some of your episodes so far, but we'll definitely make sure that I listen to that one next. So let's talk about the top 40 hit by Amy Winehouse titled Back to Black. The song initially was released on the album of the same name in October of 2006. The entire album was songs about her future husband, Blake Fielder. She was separated from him At the time, he had left her and went back to his ex-girlfriend. The album had massive critical acclaim. It was full of a lot of songs people would recognize, like Rehab and Tears Dry on their own. I remember the first time I heard Amy Winehouse on the radio, I got chills. I really love, as my listeners already know, Mm. divas, and I really love a great vocalist. And I hadn't been as excited about a vocalist since the first time I heard Mariah Carey. Watching the film, I almost missed this song because it's so briefly on in the background at the party where Tim's aunt asked for Harry's autograph at the wedding. So any thoughts on the significance of that scene and why this song may have been chosen for it? Well, it's a it's a very funny scene in the film anyway. And definitely as someone who bought the soundtrack a couple of years ago now, it's one of the songs on there. There's a few of them where when they come up, I'm thinking... When was this? Right. I mean, I know them now, obviously, after going so in-depth, but tracks like uh, Sugar Babes Push the Button, Tattoos, All the Things She Said, and Back to Black are ones where they come up and I'm like, I don't think I've heard this song before in my life. Um, <laughs> so re-watching it, once I know the soundtrack inside out anyway, or I thought I did, but actually I read the lyrics for Back to Black afterwards and I was like, I had no idea that's what she was saying. But, um, mm, so, yeah. so I, I noticed it recently when we watched it and it was kind of like probably quite expensive rights for a song that you hear for about 10 seconds. I, on the one hand, they could have chosen it just because at the time the party is, the wedding happens, because we figured this out in one of our episodes backtracking, or I do, backtracking, figuring out the date. Mm. It's, it was a brand new song, ah. just like, uh, some other songs in the movie are, are put in, I think, because of when they are. I was thinking it was a very odd choice for a wedding. <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't fit the scene. The scene is great, cause Harry is kind of echoing what Tim said about Mary earlier, where he was making jokes about her reading for a living. And like, she couldn't read things to her if she didn't get paid. And Harry's kind of saying the same thing. He won't do it, he won't do playwright stuff when he's at a wedding. Although I, I noticed recently, this isn't about the song, but I did notice it when we watched the movie recently. I'm pretty sure the woman, uh, Auntie May, who wants his autograph, is asking him to sign a card, which is really funny, because it looks like it's a card. We we joked this. Right. And then I was looking at it, I'm like, no, it does look like a card, <laughs> which is hilarious. She just wants his signature on something, not his autograph. I think I heard... But she says autograph. Um... I don't think it ended up making it into the final cut of the film, but I think I heard that in the background of the scene, he's then, like, making out and dancing with Art May (laughs) later on, but that could be wrong. 
I haven't read that part in the script yet either. I I should have oh, done okay. because when yeah. Richard sent the script, I meant to read through it, and I just got partway through and then haven't managed to read the rest. So I'll probably do that later. But yeah, in fact, I could try and find it while we're talking. <laughs> yeah. As for the placement of the song in the movie, in retrospect, I don't know if this is why they did it. Back to Black playing as Harry does the autograph scene. Then we get a really sad scene with Kit Kat and Desmond where we hear uh, Cat Powers living in bars, which is also kind of a negative song. It's about alcoholism. and We'll talk about what Back to Black is about. But then Spiegel and Spiegel starts playing when we're still at the wedding. And it's like these three songs about negative things all tie in my head now more to Kit Kat's part of the story that's about to happen. Because she has a problem with alcohol. She has a problem with an abusive boyfriend who she keeps breaking up with and getting back together. But we haven't really seen this happening in the movie up to this point because we're following Tim. But the movie's about to focus on her for about 15, 20 minutes. Again, like the movie is, the soundtrack is setting us up for what's coming. Well, it's actually really interesting that you say that because Amy Winehouse again wrote this album about Blake Fielder, who she had broken up and got back together with Mm -hmm. several times before they ended up getting married. And she also had a problem with alcohol addiction that ended up claiming her life. Well, and Addiction to Worse Things, which Black probably is a reference to. Mm. But it, it doesn't feel like a wedding song, but it's okay because it's a few seconds in the party at, after the wedding and then it moves on to the next stuff. Just as a note, it's not in, it's not mentioned in the script back to Black. Neither is it mentioned in the script about the card either. It doesn't say what uh. she hands him. But it does say that shortly after, Joanna and Jay are very close dancing and Joanna's looking alarmed. So there's a... Nice. And there's also a lot more swearing in the original script than in the final 12-hour rated <laughs> cut. So the other big top 40 hit in the film is Friday I'm in Love by The Cure. And this shows up, I believe, in minute 34. Yes. A lot more noticeable. Where Tim... Yes. yes. <laughs> a lot more noticeable. It gets about 40 seconds of play. It's a lot more prominent in the scene. And this is where Tim goes to the Kate Moss exhibit at the museum, hoping to find Mary there. Mm-hmm. So the song was initially released in 1992. It hit number 18 on the Billboard Top 100 chart. It also won an MTV award for European Video of the Year. Writer Robert Smith called it a throw-your-hands-in-the-air-get-happy kind of record. Is there anything you'd like to share about the placement of this particular song in the scene? Or the scene itself? I just love it. Well, I, I, I love the montage because in a movie about time travel, it's the one time Tim has to just sit and wait real time. Mm. And so we see him just sitting on a bench. His outfit changes. So he's sitting there for at least four days in order to find when Mary comes to the exhibit, because he knows she's going to. She loves Kate Moss, and she has to go. We see him eating at least five different snacks. Yes. Coming up. <laughs> and he ate a lot more that was cut out. And he ate more, yeah, yeah. that were cut out. <laughs> so there were probably even more outfits, too. They probably cut it down to fit it into those 40 seconds. Mm. I remember in one of the, uh, the blooper reel or something, Donald turns to Richard Curtis and says, if I get diabetes, I'm suing. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just a, it's a lovely, lovely montage, and I think it's... It's one of the bits of the film which, when you talk about it, I think most people are like, oh, yeah. But actually, I think if you mention about time, it's not one of the first things you remember when actually it's one of the best scenes, I think. It's so... Yeah. It's not a song you necessarily remember from the movie. No. It's a scene that technically ends up not existing. (laughs) Yeah. No spoilers. (laughs) As for the song, I could say, I do know, at one point I owned something like 700 CDs, but... The single to this to Friday I'm in Love was one of the first fifty, 
I know this because one time we were going on a field trip to multiple locations and I wanted to bring my CD player for the drive parts. I couldn't decide what CDs I wanted, so I just grabbed my CD tower, which held 50 discs, threw it in my gym bag and took it with, which would have included Friday Having Love. And I know, I know that trip because it was like everyone was like, oh, can I borrow a CD? I'm like, I guess, but I brought these for me. <laughs> I had 50 CDs with me. I'm going to listen to all of these. I don't know that much about The Cure, but am I right that I read somewhere that it was almost written ironically as like sort of a, a jokey song that then became one of their biggest hits? Well, like the description you just right. said, Sarah, with the throw your hands up in the air kind of yeah. thing, it's very much not the tone you usually think of for The Cure. No. They're more of like a melancholy, sad kind of music thing, at least how you think of them. I don't know if that's the majority of their songs, actually. It's just what we say. I don't... Yeah. I don't think I knew much about The Cure at all. So when I, w- I watched the video, music video, a few months back probably, and it was kind of like, ah, oh, that's what they look like. Which I realise is once again probably a generational <laughs> thing. Like, yeah. I'd heard the name, I just hadn't really made the connection. And I have heard this song since in a TV show, which ironically I'm pretty sure came out before, called uh, Worst Week of My Life, starring Ben Miller. And there's just a scene where you just hear it on in the radio in the background. And I'm like, ah, it's that song. And no one else in my family cared when I shouted that out, I'm sure. Just a quick aside, because I can't pass up the opportunity. Uh, you talked about Britney Spears a couple episodes ago. <laughs> I just want to point out that Luke didn't know what Britney Spears looked like. <laughs> that episode is very easy to find as well. It's called Luke Doesn't Know What Britney Spears Looks Like. <laughs> Because there's a poster of her on the wall, and we were talking about the poster. Luke's talking about a different, what he thinks is a different poster. And then we realized, no, he's talking about the same thing, he just didn't know it was Britney Spears. Mm, yeah, it's mostly because I thought I'd know what Britney Spears looked like. So once I saw this picture, <laughs> you were talking about Britney Spears, and I saw this picture of someone I didn't know. It was like, it must not be her. You did know her music, I think, though. You just had never seen her. Right? Yeah, other than like her cameo in How I Met Your Mother. But still, I knew she was in it, but I wouldn't have told you what character she played or, or anything. So... Yeah, it's definitely. I think the fo- I think the poster was from several years before I was born, though. So I think that's that's fair. Right. Yeah. To be fair, Luke wasn't alive when she became famous. <laughs> so it's just thinking about the fact that this song came out in 1992 and calling it kind of ironic and jokey because that year was the same time period where REM had Stand, which was a similar type of vibe. And there were a lot of one-hit wonders that year, like Wright Said Fred, I'm Too Sexy. I'm Too Sexy was 92? It might be older than that. It might be late 91, but around, yeah, right around that. It feels like an 80s song to me. No, it's not. Yeah. (laughs) And there were just a lot of songs in that era. So The Cure's earlier songs were more melancholic, but I think there was just a 1992 vibe of those particular songs. The day I took my CD tower on the field trip, we ended up at the mall, Glendo Galleria, and I bought In Spiral Carpets, Revenge of the Goldfish for the song Two Worlds Collide, which was the only song of theirs, I think, that ever got on the radio. So same thing. So I... I'm cheating a little bit because I didn't mention this song to our guest, but I want to mention it now. There was another Top 40 song that is not on the soundtrack, but it is in the film, and that's The Killer's Mr. Brightside. So this song appears early on in the film at the party scene, and then when Tim first uses the closet to time travel back to the party scene, when he steps out of the closet, this song is playing. So this song was the first single released from The Killer's first studio album in 2004, titled Hot Fuss. The song was actually named Song of the Decade by several UK radio stations and is one of the most 
streamed songs of all time. That surprised me. While, of course, I was familiar with the song, I like this song, but it was never one of my favorites, and I didn't realize that it was as popular as it was. One of the verses from the song just says, coming out of my cage and I've been doing just fine. Gotta, gotta be down because I want it all. It's interesting. He's stepping out of a closet. The song itself is talking about jealousy. So do you think this song was chosen specifically for the sound or the lyrics or just because it was pervasive, it would be instantly recognizable for the audience? I think it's probably also related to the sort of era that we ha- that was set at the start of the film. Yeah, because at the time of the New Year's Eve party, that song would have just come out three months earlier. And so it's a brand new song. But I think also the message fits because like the coming out of the cage thing, mm. even the first time we hear it, it's this party where we can see that he's in that cage still. He's still Tim before he knows he can yeah. travel in time. And he calls it the dreaded New Year's Eve party because mm. he doesn't like being there. Uh, the actual lyrics that early in the film don't quite fit, but they would fit when he comes back to it, because he comes back with Kit Kat to try to help fix her life, because she met Jimmy, her boyfriend, at that party. But maybe a bit of both. Yeah. Is it weird that whilst knowing this song, I feel I've heard people talk about it more than I've heard it? Apparently not. It's quite popular. Like, I, I probably... Uh, like, I'd recognize it if I heard it, but not one I'm that familiar with. I feel like this is... Being a music show, this is like the one show that possibly several of my friends would listen to and they'll see how little I know about music. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's a song I've definitely heard referenced and I don't mind. And it was a, a good choice for the party. It does interest me as to why certain songs aren't on the soundtrack. Is it just like a contractual thing, do you think? Or? Cause like, I Will Always Love You features shortly after, only briefly, but right. in all fairness, probably about as briefly as some of these other songs do. Yeah. So it's always intrigued me as to which ones made it, which ones didn't. And that's one of the things that I really love about watching films and about movie soundtracks is you can discover so many new artists and so many mm. new songs. So if somebody hadn't been familiar with maybe Amy Winehouse or The Killers or even knew who Britney Spears was, that they could get to know new artists. I didn't really know except because Robert had played him occasionally, artists like Nick Cave, and I really like him now. So. I think it's great when we can watch a film, not only for the film, but discover so many new artists through well, through it. That's like I say on our show at one point, If I, when I heard the name Ron Sexsmith, I wouldn't think he's a guy that sings a song like Golden Them Hills. Yeah. It sounds like a, he's some sort of punk singer, like he picked that name, Sexsmith. But no, he sings nice, thoughtful music. I'm like, okay, cool. But yeah, he's a definitely big shout out to Ron Sexsmith. He's a lovely guy. I mean, I'm a, have we got time for me to mention the slight story about Elton John? Or absolutely, yes. please do. Okay, so after having it's music related. So yeah, <laughs> exactly. After having Ron on the show, we we were just talking via messages a bit about certain plans and things I wanted to do with use of his music, things which you'll find out towards the latter run of the show. <laughs> I don't want to say much more, but as part of it, just as part of the conversation we had, I sent him a link to my school friend's cover of I'm Still Standing, saying like this is something that I quite liked, it's something I was looking at doing a similar style as. And then we carried on our conversation. Next thing I know, it was like, oh, by the way, I've sent the song to Elton. He thinks it's fabulous. Can he have an email address for your school teacher? So I was like, yeah, I gave him the email address, thought nothing of it. Next thing I know, about a week later, 
Well, I think a couple of weeks later, the music teacher messages me and invites me to a Zoom call, which whilst being involved in the school's music department through, like, choir stuff, I don't study music, so when the music teacher invites me to a Zoom call, I know there's something interesting. And, uh... It's for us all to react to a video from Elton saying how much he loved the song, how we were all being invited as his guests to his next gig in the UK. And next thing I know, our school is all over Rolling Stone, NME, Billboard, like international news. It's just massive. So although a lot of it doesn't mention you. the podcast, which would have been very <laughs> nice to have had that, that shout out, it, it's just shocking to think that actually it, it happened as a result of the show and as a result of Ron Sexsmith. So yeah. big shout out to Ron. He's a lovely, lovely guy. I mean, you know, he didn't have to do that at all. And he's since like what he now follows my school on Twitter and watches the our other videos and stuff and and he recommended one of his songs for if our school ever wants to do one of his so hopefully we will yeah and that you got to know ron sexsmith and that all of that happened because of podcasting and just because of your love of this film and music is so great Mm. yeah it 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 really is and it was really (laughs) i'm I'm still in shock about some of it it was just once again although it got cut out like turn, turning up to my school after I technically officially left to be interviewed by, I say ITV, but I don't know if you have ITV in the States, so you probably don't know how much of a big deal it is, but <laughs> BBC and ITV are like the two big things, and they they filmed an interview where I where I gave a big plug to the show, actually, but uh, clearly ITV weren't too bothered about that. <laughs> yeah, it was just very exciting and lovely of Ron to do that, and and actually the school have since, as a result of that, I think the, n- the following two music videos they did, I'm in it a little bit, which is nice. We'll have to watch for those, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think what they were. One was Lewis Capaldi's Bruises, I think, and then we did another Elton one. We did uh, Saturday Night. Yeah, I, I think they're probably going to do more, but whether we're involved anymore is technically I'm out of that school now. <laughs> I don't know. And there will be one at the end of Two Minutes About Time, but we don't need to say what song it is yet. No. I didn't even know we wanted to. Yeah, we kept, well, yeah, I guess, because from the IMDb credits, they'll know that there's something interesting at the end of two minutes of that time. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, listen to the last proper episode of two minutes about time after me and robert read half of the end credits for an hour <laughs> there is something nice for you at the end yes Great. <laughs> so are there any other songs associated with important scenes in the film that you'd like to mm. mention before we wind down this film il mondo yes yeah <laughs> of course you'd say il mondo yeah, yeah I, 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 um i would say how long will I love you? Of course. Because it's, it's the other great <laughs> montage in the movie. The version on the soundtrack is Ellie Goulding singing it, but the version in the movie is basically a live... There is both on the album. Or both on the album? Okay, cool. I thought just hers was. But it's played live during a montage. It's John Bowden, Sam Sweeney, and Ben Coleman. Yeah. Was it Bellowhead? Or Yellowhead? Yeah, it was Bellowhead. Like Bellowhead. 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 Yeah, I can't believe I forgot how long I love you. And loads of people seem to think that's an original song for the film as well. Like, because it wasn't that well known. Well, it does feel like it because they're playing it live in mm. the in that subway station as we see Tim and Mary's life together progress in a little montage. Yeah. That's the one that, like, after seeing the movie the first time, that's the song and the scene I remembered when in relation to music. Mm. And even one of the music teachers from my school, like, when I talked about About Time, she was like, it's the How Long Will I Love You <laughs> yeah. film. And actually, I since found out that that music teacher started listening to Two Minutes About Time, so that was exciting. And Il Mondo takes place in the wedding. Over the course of the 
the five minutes leading up to the wedding, actually. First, Tim and his dad are going through records in the table tennis room and they talk about Il Mondo and what a great song it is. And then, by the way, I'm, I'm mentioning these, it's not really as on the nose as it sounds. It's not like you know it's going to come up. It's very well done. Then they're planning the wedding and Mary's like, the only thing you've you've decided is that I'll be going down the aisle to an Italian weirdo singing a song called Il Mondo, for which I've said a definitive no, or something like that. And, yeah, yeah, it was so funny. And then it actually starts playing, and even though most of us won't know that that's what the song is, it's instantly clear that that's the song they were talking about. And I mean, that brings a tear to my eye a lot of the times I watch it as well. I think what we're getting from this is I'm I, I cry a lot in this film, um, <laughs> but it's uh, yeah, it's it's a very powerful and emotional scene especially tim's slight singing and his dad dancing for which his mum mm-hmm. tells him to stop <laughs> all of which is in the script which is lovely so it's not improv like that's i'm pretty sure it is in the script i'd have to double check they also shout out to richard curtis for sending me a copy of the script it's, it's very exciting which we got after we finished recording most of the shows so, <laughs> uh, there's not many when we say is that in the script we don't know Want to thank you both for being here. Before we close, would you like to share with our audience anything about your current projects and where they can find you on social media? You can find me on social media at Robert E.G. Black anywhere. You could look up any of my stuff at lemmingdrops.com. Specifically, current projects would be Annihilation Minute. Podcast goes up every Thursday. Looking at the movie Annihilation one minute at a time. And Cock and Bull Minute, which does not look at the movie Tristram Shandy, a cock and bull story ever. Well, much of ever even though it pretends to. Instead, it talks about all my favorite movies instead, including About Time. Mm. You can find me on Twitter at llama underscore bottle zero. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Ginger Luke, Facebook at Luke Allen Film, all podcasts, radio appearances, newspaper articles, short films, anything I do is at lukeallen.co.uk. Upcoming shows at some point will be a movie by minute S look at Love Actually and Les Miserables are the two ones which I'll be doing at some point. A Love Actually is not a minute at a time. It'll be breaking up into the days before Christmas that takes place. Oh. Les Miserables will be 2.4601 minutes at a time. And Two Minutes About Time, the one we've been talking about quite a lot today, is on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Two Minutes About Time. They can join our Facebook group, The Cupboard. And we're on IMDb. If for some reason they want to find us on IMDb, two minutes about time. Excellent. Thank you. So listeners, what are your favorite songs from romantic comedies? In which film or scene did the song appear? And why did you fall in love with it? You can follow my Life as a Playlist page on Facebook or follow me at Life as a Playlist on Twitter and Instagram and let me know. Or you can email me at lifeasaplaylist at gmail.com. Until next week. My music. What do you love about music? To begin with, everything. <laughs>